Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. If you ask yourself the question, why do we call Good Friday, Good Friday? Good Friday. Well, when you think about the fact that it was the darkest day in human history, it was the day when our wonderful Savior was betrayed, he was betrayed by the Judas. He was arrested. He was then judged falsely, falsely accused. He was beaten, publicly shamed, went to a cross where he was crucified. And we call that Good Friday. We also know that it was our sin that put him on that cross. And you think about the fact that we should really mourn over something like that. That's why he hung there on that cross, because of what we did in Adam so many years ago, 6,000 years ago. But then we also understand that as tragic as it was, as terrible as the day was, we recognize the fact that without it, there's no redemption. And without a crucifixion, there is no resurrection. So we know Friday's here on that first Friday when he died. But Sunday we know was coming when he was raised up from the dead for our justification. And so we thank God for that. Well, we know that Satan had a plan of destruction for man's eternal damnation, eternal separation from God in a lake of fire that will never be quenched. But God had a plan also, a constructive plan, not a destructive, but a constructive plan for man's eternal salvation. And on that cross, both plans came together. They met. They're both represented there. And the first Adam brought death into the world, and we see three crosses where they all died. They were crucified. Crucifixion spells out death. But also the second Adam was on that cross. We, Jesus is called the second Adam or the last Adam. And on that cross, he through death destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And so in the first Adam, we die. But in the second Adam, we live. Can you say amen for the second Adam? Can you thank God for the last Adam? Absolutely. Before I go any further, I put these here. I wrote them out for you. I had them written out so you can see them for yourself. Take them home and study them because what you're about to hear is something I believe we all really need to take to heart because this is the message of what took place on Good Friday. This verse, Isaiah 52 and verse 14 from these different translations. First of all, the extended Bible. Look at what it says in the, from the extended Bible. Many people were shocked, astonished, appalled when they saw him. His appearance was so damaged, disfigured, marred, he did not look like a man. His form was so changed, they could barely tell he was human, beyond the sons of man, children of humanity. Think about that. And this is from the Names of God translation. Look at the next one. Many will be shocked by him. His appearance will be so disfigured that he won't look like any other man. 
His looks will be so disfigured that he will hardly look like a human. Okay, look at the next one. And this is from the New Century Version. Many people were shocked when they saw him. His appearance was so damaged, he did not look like a man. His form was so changed, they could barely tell he was human. Wow. And then look at the last one. This is from the New International Reader's Version. Many people were shocked when they saw him. He was so scarred that he no longer looked like a person. His body was so twisted that he did not look like a human being anymore. Do you realize how many people were crucified when crucifixion or death by crucifixion was being used by the Romans and even others? Many. Many were being crucified. But one person, this is what they said about this, one person, he was so marred more than any man, so disfigured more than any man, he did not appear to be human. Now, do we think his crucifixion was any different than anybody else's crucifixion? I know you watch the Passion of the Christ and we see all the lacerations. We see the blood pouring out. Yes, he had the crown of thorns on his head. But remember this, all these others too received the cat of nine tails and the whipping and all the bleeding and all the stuff that went on. They too were hung up there naked and, and shamed before all the people that were there watching him suffer and die. But these other two, of course, their legs were broken because it was the Passover that was coming up. And as a result, they didn't want to keep the bodies up there on the tree. And so what made him different than these others that were there? Something happened to Jesus on the cross when that Roman lictor went up, looked up and saw his visage so marred, so disfigured that he did not even appear to be a human. This truly must have been the Son of God. I've never seen this. What in the world am I witnessing? What has taken place here? Well, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll find out. Verse 21 says, For he that is God the Father hath made him that is God the Son, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Something took place. You see, we emphasize Isaiah 53 as well we should because that's the redemptive chapter. But going into that chapter, it was prophesied that when he is on that tree, he will be so disfigured, you can't tell he's a human being. And that's what they saw. He was made sin for us. I've done studies on both end of it, ends of it, and you're going to get all kinds of opinions. I know that. But when he was made sin for us, he had to undo what took place in Adam when Adam sinned from the very beginning. When Adam sinned, his spirit took on the nature of sin. He was separated from God, estranged from God, so his nature was not of God any longer. His soul was damaged as a result. Mind, will, emotion, intellects, intellect. And then his physical body became more mortal or subject to death. So in all three realms, remember, man is a tripartite being. They were all affected by sin, all three of them. 
To undo that, Jesus on that tree had to bear in his own body on that tree our sin. So all three parts of his being were affected by sin. All three parts of his being. If you're going to undo it as a substitute, you've got to take our place and you've got to bear what we should have bore. And that's exactly what he did. Something took place that absolutely caused all of nature to go wild. It became dark. The earth began to quake and rumble. We know that the veil of the temple was ripped in twain in two from top to bottom. Meaning that no longer would man be kept out of the Holy of Holies. Why? Because Jesus would go in as a high priest and secure eternal redemption for us. Paving the way by his blood so that we can enter in. What a glorious day. But the point is, the message is this. The reason why we can be healed, delivered, set free, and made whole. The reason why we can be saved is because somebody paid the price that we should have paid. Somebody took upon himself... The wrath that you and I should have taken. If that doesn't cause us to rise up with gratitude and thanksgiving to him, I don't know what can. If that doesn't command our allegiance, I don't know what can. I know that we're in the flesh. I know he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our shortcomings. He knows it's difficult. He went through it for us. But praise God, when he rose from the dead, he liberated us and set us free from sin's power and also its consequences. All we have to do is say yes to him. Why is it Good Friday? Because it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And what's the goodness of God? It's right there. God is so good. Jesus was so good. He was willing to go through this all for you and for me. So it's not just the physical suffering that we see depicted in the passion of the Christ that makes us think that it was such an awful thing because Peter was crucified upside down, was he not? Others were sawn asunder, cut in two. And in some cases I hear, I don't know how true all this stuff is, you hear a lot of stuff. Can you imagine tying one leg to a tree, another leg to a tree, and then splitting a human being in half? Ouch. That would hurt. So, many were burned at the stake. Many were eaten by lions, made sport of in the Roman arena, the Colosseum. We know that. And all kinds of different ways that these individuals, Christians, were absolutely tortured and put to death. But there's something about Jesus, I think, that needs to stand out here. When he was at the rock in the garden, and the Bible says he was sweating as if it were drops of blood. And finally, struggling in prayer, came out to see his disciples sleeping. He wanted their assistance. He wanted their help. He goes back and he says, you know, Father, if it's possible that this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. Now, I ask you this. Did others do the same? Were those criminals so afraid to die by crucifixion that they did the same? Was it just the physical suffering that caused Jesus to cower from it all? I don't think so. I believe he's more of a man than any of them. 
But you and I have no idea what it was like and what happened to him when he became sin for us. We have no idea. When the wrath of God was poured out on his entire being, spirit, soul, and body for us. To take our place as our substitute. To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He did. Why is it Good Friday? Someone had to pay the price. And he did. And it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It was his goodness that put him on that tree. It was our sin. Because God is good. He took our place. Does that move you to want to serve him? And love him and obey him? I think it would, wouldn't you? Absolutely. But then also, we see on that same day. Remember, they're getting the time to celebrate the Passover, Feast of the Passover. There's so much history in this. And there's so much, you say, uh, prophecies that are fulfilled during that particular time when he's going to die. You know, just throughout the entire week, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy is fulfilled as Jesus comes in. On Palm Sunday, as he rides through the town, as he turns over the table of the money changers and goes into the temple and cleanses it and says, my house is a house of prayer, purity, prayer, power, perfected praise, and does all that he did there to throw them all out because they were misusing everything, taking advantage of people to the place, to the point to where he is finally crucified. He was, as I said, he was, first of all, betrayed. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was judged. He was beaten. And then he was publicly shamed and then he was crucified. All that took place during that time feast of the Passover where the blood was shed by the animal and applied to the doorpost and lintel of the house so they could be protected from the death of the firstborn. See, it wasn't just the shed blood that protected them. It was the shed blood applied that protected them. And all that took place. And now we see the fulfillment of it. That was the type. This is the antitype. And we see Jesus fulfilling what had to be done, what had to take place. And so... On Calvary, we have three crosses, not just one. And you might think, well, that's just a coincidence. Well, no, I don't think so. I believe they're of important significance, all three of them. The Holy Spirit is not going to inspire these individuals to write this in, in our Gospels if they weren't significant or important. So we've got three crosses that are represented there, and all three crosses have meaning. And so quickly, we're going to explore all three. You've got the cross of, cross of redemption with Jesus. You've got the cross of rebellion with the unrepentant sinner. And you've got the cross of repentance with the repentant sinner. So we've got Jesus in the middle, and now we've got these two crosses. And in the middle, we've got Jesus, the cross of redemption. And he's on that tree taking our place and doing our part. Look at Isaiah 53 fall, because here's one of the prophecies that, were, that was fulfilled when he died on Calvary. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he had poured out his soul unto death, not just his body. And he was numbered among the transgressors. In other words, he's got the crooks, the criminals, one on one side and one on the other side. He's numbered among them. We have to understand this. This is an awful thing that's taking place. In our Western culture, we don't basically understand it all, but we'll get to that in a moment. In Philippians chapter 2, we are told these words. Let's read them. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. That in itself is mind-boggling, that God himself could be made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So now we see the second person of deity humbling himself to the place where he's going to become a man, he's going to live a life, he's going to die like no man ever died before. And so his cross of redemption represents what? First of all, humility. Think about God himself humbling himself to become a man. To become part of his own creation. We are told that the world itself can't contain God. But we find him entering into the womb of a woman named Mary. Taking upon himself flesh. So that he could become the God man and walk upon this earth for a reason. And the reason was that he would live like no man ever lived. He would speak like no man ever spoke. He would do as no man ever did. And then finally, he would die as no man ever died or would ever die again. This is the message that gives birth to all the, the ways that we can receive anything from God. Thank God for all the methods, but this is the message. So it's a message of humility. His cross of redemption is, is a message of obedience. He was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And it's a message of self-sacrifice. Put those things together. And when we hear him say, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Here I am. Be humble, be obedient and self-sacrificing if you want to be like me. So that's the message of the cross. And then secondly, we also know this. In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, scriptures that we should take to heart and just pour over until they sink into our ears. I guarantee you when we finish this, when we listen to this and we embrace this and really take it to heart, there's going to be manifestations of God's glory and power. Because this is what he's looking for, us to walk in the fullness of what he's done for us. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 say... Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. Why? That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Notice, it is a cross of redemption. He redeemed us. All the money in the world could never purchase our salvation. Could never satisfy the ransom could never do what is necessary for one human being to be saved all the blood shed from the time of sacrificial laws to the time of christ could never save a human being not the money not the wealth nothing but one drop of the blood of jesus christ one drop of that precious blood that washes whiter than snow. One drop of the blood that speaks better things than that of Abel's. One drop of that blood, praise God, satisfied forever the claims of justice that were being held against mankind so that you and I could leave the realm of death and walk into the realm of life. It's the only thing that could have done it, and he did it. He redeemed us, but from what? It speaks of liberation, from the curse of the law. People today say, I'm under a curse. Well, you're only under a curse if you say it and believe it. 
But you've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Threefold, poverty, sickness, and death. You've been redeemed from that. Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. No longer subject to it. It has no power over any of us. Are we walking in the fullness of our redemptive rights? I think not. But that doesn't mean they're not there. It doesn't mean they don't belong to us. They're ours. And we can walk in the light of these particular things that he died for every day of our lives if we so choose. But we see here he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Poverty, sickness, and death were the main three things of the curse of the law. Every sickness, every disease, be it known, unknown, name, unnamed, written, unwritten, we've been redeemed from. And you know what? We've been echoing these words and saying, look, we don't want to just know it. We want to walk in it. We want to experience it. We want to manifest it in our bodies. That's what it's all about, reality, experiencing it. And so we can. But we got to believe the message. And the message is on that tree, he redeemed us from that curse. And you've got people today, preachers today, and saying, well, healing's not in the atonement. I'm so sorry. That's where faith begins. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe he did that for you and for me. That's where faith comes from. All right. And then next, not just liberation, it speaks of substitution. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for whom? For us. For me. You became the curse for me. Take a moment. Let that sink in. Tell him, thank you for becoming the curse for me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for becoming the curse for me so I could be blessed with faithful Abraham. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the field. Blessed in the basket. Blessed in the store. Blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in my body, hallelujah, not cursed, but blessed, say with me, I am blessed, can't be cursed, whom God had blessed, cannot be cursed, oh, praise God, what a revelation, so it speaks of redemption, it speaks of substitution, it speaks of uh, liberation for all of us, but next, We've got the cross of the unrepentant sinner. The cross of Christ, we could say so much more about that cross, and there is so much more to say about it. But um, well, matter of fact, look at this. Let's not go on to that. In the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 8, let's look at that. This is Jesus pouring himself out as an act of love that the world has never, ever recognized or seen before. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we had sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, this is a revelation. The cross is a revelation of the love of God. How many times have people come to me and said, uh, God doesn't really love me. I don't think God really loves me. And the reason why they say that is because they're going through something and it seems like God's millions of miles away and it seems like he doesn't really love them because of what they're going through. And we always have to bring their attention back to this one thing. God's love for us is not found in our circumstances. It's found in an act that he did for us. He introduced us to his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While I'm a sinner, he died for me and you as well. Look at the next verse in John 15, 13. There is no greater love than this. Jesus says, greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he did that for us. And that's the cross. And the next one, I love this one, Zephaniah 3, verse 17. This is from the Amplified Bible. 
AMPC, it's the classic version. The Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his, in silent satisfaction. And in his love, he'll be silent and make no mention of past sins. Hallelujah. Or even recall them. He will exult over you with singing. So we see this happening. God himself exulting over us with singing, not remembering any of our past sins, resting in his love. In other words, it means this. He poured out his love. God is love. You realize that. And he poured out himself unto death. All the love that he is was poured out on Calvary when Jesus sacrificed his life. Greater love is no man than this. So for someone to say, I don't think that God really loves me, put him to the cross. And there it is. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get more proven than that. That's the cross of redemption. But look at the cross of this unrepentant sinner. It's the cross of rebellion. Look in Luke 23 in verse 39, what it says. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. This guy was a hardened criminal. This guy was probably a murderer. He made some bad life decisions. You know, crucifixion is a terrible thing, but it's used when people are really terrible people. Uh, you could talk about people that have committed murder, treason, uh, insurrection. The list goes on and on of the different things that they have committed and they're punishable by death, by crucifixion. This man was one of those. He was justly tried, put on a cross where he's going to die the death of crucifixion. What does he want? He represents, he represents a world of rebellion that wants what? I want to live my life in anarchy. I don't want to have anyone tell me what to do or how to live. I'm going to live the way I want to live, do what I want to do, etc., etc. But you know what? I don't want there to be any responsibility. I don't want to have any consequence. So Jesus, he's telling Jesus, come on down and save, my, save you, save me. In other words, I want to get away with it. I don't want to be punished for what I've done. He wants salvation without judgment is what he wants. His salvation is right next to him, and he rejects it. He doesn't see it that way. He doesn't care. All he wants is someone to save him from his righteous his retribution. He should be punished for what he did, but he doesn't want it his, that way. He wants it his own way. So, either he had to be judged, or Christ had to be judged. And what is he saying? I want freedom. I want no consequence for what I've done, how I live my life. So, Jesus doesn't even answer him. But then we have the cross of the repentant sinner. And this is the cross of repentance. So you've got redemption, you've got rebellion, and now you've got the cross of repentance. This man is no different than the other man. He's a hardened criminal. That's why he's there. He could have committed treason, insurrection, especially if you were a religious zealot, you could be crucified for being one. If you committed murder and so on, um, you could be on the cross for that. But he was there. And what does he do? He tells the man who was railing on Jesus, he said, look, you and I are here because we belong here. There's a reason why we're here. Let's read it. Luke 23, 40 through 43. 
But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. No different than the other guy. The same. The people, uh, the world is made up of people on both sides of the cross. People today. And we were on that one side as well. But you know what? One day someone told you that we will be judged for our sin. One day someone told you God is a just God and he cannot allow us to enter his kingdom if we think we can get there on our own merit. I've heard a lot of people say, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing. Well, if you're just good enough, you'll make heaven. I had a fellow tell me one time, put his hand on my leg and tap, patted my leg and just said, you know what, if you, you'll be good, just be good enough, you'll make it there someday. I said, really? I was born again at that time, and I said, I wasn't doing too bad before this, but I know I wasn't going to make heaven. I know that for a fact. I had conviction in my heart. We can't make heaven on our own. This man recognized that. This man cried out to Jesus. He called upon him to save him, and Jesus met him where he was at. And even though both of them had the same background, same criminal activity, this one cries out to Jesus and gets saved, and that one ignores Jesus and rejects Jesus and he is lost. And that's why on Calvary, the why of three crosses, because you've got the redemptive cross, you've got the cross of rebellion, and you've got the cross of repentance. And you know what? I believe everybody here has repented, giving your heart to Jesus, allowing him to save you by his grace. Someone had to pay the price and you know what? He's the one. So rather than mock Jesus like the one man did, what do we do? We love on him. We accept his sacrifice. We thank him for what he has done. And then we go one step further. We serve him with our lives. We're living in a society right now where many think that just being saved is good enough. You know what? That's not what it's all about. He said, let my people go that they might serve me. Didn't he say that? That's what he wants. He wants us to serve him with our lives. To live for him. To love on him. To obey him. To do his will. Yes, thank God we can make heaven because of what he did for us. But don't we want to get there with rewards on the other side in glory? Because we lived a life of faithful service to the one who went to that cross on that dark day. So, in review, why Good Friday? Because somebody had to pay the price. And as awful as the day was, as dark as the day was, our Savior set his face like a flint. To go to Jerusalem, not to party, but to go to a tree where he would bear our sin and carry our pain. And on that tree, he suffered beyond anything the mind can even imagine. I can't even fathom what it did to him when he became sin. And God laid on him the sin of the world. The iniquity of us all, past, present, and future all fell on him. No wonder he was so disfigured. No wonder he was so marred. No wonder he didn't appear to be human-like because of that. Why three crosses? There's redemption in the middle, but there's choices on either side. Let's all stand together.